0: as you mentioned, I am Pastor Tom, and my job title here is Congregational Care. Yeah, there's a lot of other things I do, but the biggest one is Congregational Care. And one of the ways that uh, I do that is with my wife, we, uh, we've started in this last year, we've been through it three times now, is Grief Share, a, t- a time and a place where people can get together who have lost loved ones. So I will unashamedly let you know that uh, we're starting our next s- session, our next 13-week session on Tuesday, May 2nd. It'll be at 7 p.m. and go for 13 weeks and invite any of you who have experienced some kind of loss in your life to be a part of that, whether it's been six weeks, six months, even six years. Uh, we had a, a gentleman who lost his wife about seven, eight years ago. He thought, you know, maybe I should go to that. And he did. And he enjoyed it enough. It meant enough to him. It helped him enough. He said, you know what? I want to go through it again. So really, I do invite you to be a part of that. It's a great place of healing as we get to talk about the losses that we've experienced and encourage and strengthen one another. Also, it's not in my job title, but I do organize a softball team. <laughs> and so I'm still needing two players. And so we, we play on Wednesday evenings. Uh, games start at 6.30, and this new church league, welcomes women to be a part of the team. So if you would like to be a part of that, let me know, men or women. I'm needing two more people to fill out the team. Uh, We hate to do that forfeit thing because we're just short a player or two. So uh, see me after the service if you'd like to be a part of that or a part of Grief Share as well. Well, here at Salem we are finishing up the school year with a short series on cave table and road. Uh, We took a look last week at the cave being our personal time uh, with the Lord a time when we get away and it's just uh, you and me Lord and why would we even want to do something like that and um, so there are actually several several really good reasons I think and the first one is because we can you know it makes me think of when the first time I read the scriptures and I saw that on, when Jesus died when he actually died on the cross it tells us that the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom this was the curtain that separated everybody from the Lord the Lord shall we say, inhabited the Holy of Holies, but nobody could go there except one priest once a year. But in Jesus dying and paying the price for our sins, now we can go in there. We don't need anybody going there on behalf. We can go there. We can talk to the Lord face-to-face, as it were, because of what Christ has done. So since he's opened up that relationship, why not go and spend time with him? Another reason is Jesus did that kind of thing. He would get away from time to time. It would be just him. You know, in particular, we think about him, it says that he was praying all night about the decisions on which ones to make his closest disciples. Jesus would spend time pulling away. Jesus would spend time focusing on time with his father, and he'd be seeking his father's direction. Another reason to spend time with the Lord in a personal cave time is relationships take work. Can I get an amen? <laughs> they, they take a lot of work. They do not happen, and it does take time. And so, personal time with the Lord is essential. I mean, He has opened up a personal relationship with us, so we need to spend time with Him. We need to spend time in His Word. That's our most reliable source of information about God. Similarly, we also, thanks to the printing press and all of that and computers now, Other people can share their experiences, things that they've learned about God, ways that they've experienced him, and so those can be useful tools as well as we spend cave time with the Lord. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to be talking to God. We need to be listening to God. We need to be asking him for things. He asks us to ask. He practically commands us to ask. We do need to be asking. We also need to be confessing our sins. We need to take time to do that. John reminds us in 1 John 1, 9 through 10 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all righteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, liar and his word is not in us. John said, you've got to take time. It just doesn't poof happen. Ah, oh, Jesus covered it all. Now I'm going to do, live my life however I want to. It's like, nope, we need to be right there with the Lord say, you yep, I own this. I did it. I'm sorry. Please help me. Personal time with the Lord, really useful, because we also find that we get rest from our guilt, and we can find even the rest that comes from our striving, that it's okay, we are loved, he is our father, we are his children. Personal cave time is important, but this morning we'd like to turn the focus towards cave time being a corporate time my relationship with god me and god is not the only piece of it it's also there is a we element to it this makes me think about the church that i grew up in the church i grew up in was i would call very we centered Uh, we would start the service by perhaps reading something like psalm 93 we would read it out together come let us sing for joy to the lord let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us kneel before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Did you hear all of the we's in there? And then we are saying it together. We are gathered. It's not just me and Jesus on Sunday morning. It's we and Jesus. Then we would read a, uh, I'm sorry, then we would sing songs and we would celebrate the greatness of God. Then we would read a prayer of confession together. We would say it together and we'd be identifying our sins And then we would be assured of our forgiveness as the pastor shared scriptures about the forgiveness that has been won through Jesus. Then we would listen to scriptures, uh, some from the New Testament, some from the old, then we'd listen to a message and then we would respond to what we had heard. And then finally we would be, we would leave being sent out into the world. So this was a very we 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 oriented kind of sunday morning it's like we gathered in our corporate cave to spend time with the lord and then we exited out to the week but there is that part where in high school and early late high school and early college i met some people for whom their faith was more me centered they talked about having a personal relationship with god they talked about having a quiet time or devotional time uh, when they prayed, it was like they were praying to somebody who was you know, possibly right there in the room. I remember at one moment feeling like, man, I almost feel like I could open my eyes and see Jesus because they're like talking to him. It's not like God is far away, but he, he is very near. So that was a time then when I really, really grew in my personal faith. But then over time, I began to notice a tension. I noticed that we centered churches criticized me-centered churches because they were so me-centered. And then me-centered churches criticized we-centered churches because they're so focused on we. Which one is it? Some of you are going, wait, this is a trick question. It's Jesus-centered. Well, yes, it is Jesus-centered. Okay, that's a given. But who's more important? Me Or we. And there we go. It is both. They are both very important. Well, since we looked last week at the personal cave time, this morning we're going to take a dive in what does corporate cave time look like? How can that be more we centered? But I'd like to start it, first of all, by taking a look at the fact that discipleship is incredibly we centered. There's a whole lot of we. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 2. Next, chapter 2, several thousand people have gotten saved, and the Scripture shows us what they did. They've got no idea what to do. There's no institutional church. that They're going, okay, what do I need to do? They're making this up as they go. And look what their response was. And in the spirit of we, let's read it together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles all the believers were together and had everything in common that's a whole lot of week going on they were learning together they were praying together they were fellowshipping together they were breaking bread together they were sharing stuff together very much about we. And that's their, that's their initial response. Nobody got together and saying, okay, let's have a congregational meeting, get some bylaws together and all of that. That was their response. We are together. This is about us as we celebrate our faith that we have in Jesus. Well, the we of discipleship continues as we take a look at Paul and a few others. Throughout the New Testament, we see one another appearing several times let's take a look at some of those opportunities to one another be devoted to one another in love live in harmony with one another encourage one another bearing with one another in love that's some good stuff but wait there's still more be kind and compassionate to one another submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Teach and admonish one another. Spur on one another toward love and good deeds. But there's more. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Serve one another humbly in love. Honor one another. Love one another. Yes, there's still more. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another with holy kiss, agree with one another, forgive one another, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That's a lot of one another's. That's 20 different one another's. There's still more. There are are actually some that is like, don't do this to one another, So I didn't include those, but they're still on the list. And then there's others where they didn't use the words exactly one another, but that's the same thing. This is we, we, we. We are doing this together. This is a team sport. We are working at this together. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is writing and he's doing some explaining. Let's read this together. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Notice who it's given for, the common good. It's just not, it's not just for me, it's not something for me to say, oh, I have this gift and you don't. I've got gifts for your benefit, you've got gifts for my benefit, so we've got to get together if we're going to Strengthen one another, build one another up, because at the end of the day, we are the body of Christ and we are building one another up. That is very much of a we kind of thing. In fact, Paul finishes this section by noting that we are so interconnected that if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. So if I'm suffering, who else is suffering? You all. Each one of us, we are so connected that Paul says, when one suffers, everybody suffers. Now, I'd take, like to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, some of you may go, wait a minute, 11, that looks familiar. Yes, we see it once a month. We do communion, and that's where we have the words where Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, after he took the bread and gave thanks, he broke it and said, yeah, all of those instructions but it's in the midst of something that is, well, not so good. Let's read it together. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. Ooh, that stings. They're getting together for the Lord's Supper, but he's going, eh, what you're doing there is not the Lord's Supper. Well, yes, it is. And he goes, no, it's not. So one of the things that we need to know and... The picture that gets painted for us here in the scripture is what did their lord's supper look like and for us we would say it looks like a potluck people bring stuff together and we eat together but the interesting thing was they weren't doing that very well apparently there were those who got there first and they brought their stuff put it on the potluck table serving line and at some point they said okay guys let's eat now in those days, the people who would be probably the first one <clears throat> to the gathering would be the rich, the business owners. And the last ones to be there would be the laborers at those businesses. So you can imagine, here come the more well-to-do people, and they brought plenty of food, and it's spread all out there, and they jump in and they start eating. Well, by the time the laborers are getting there, that. The potluck table, first of all, was well picked over, and what they brought really wasn't very much because they didn't have much. And Paul's going, this is wrong. This is the body of Christ. You're supposed to be in this together, and you're not. This is not a together kind of meal. In fact, Paul says as he finishes up that section, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing. Ooh. This Lord's Supper was supposed to be a family event. This is a team thing. We're supposed to be together, and you guys couldn't be any further apart. The Lord's Supper was to be a we event, not a me event. Well, since the the we-ness of discipleship is so clear... Why do we struggle with it? And I think there are a variety of things that really fight against us <clears throat> as we try to do life together. First of all, our culture places a high value on me. I recall whether it was late elementary or junior high, doing some American history. And one of the things that was highlighted and highlighted again and really pulled out was how did, the, how did we, shall we say, conquer the final frontiers. And the books talked about this rugged individualism that settled the rest of the US, kind of between the coasts. And so that was highlighted as, you know, this is a, an awesome trait of the United States. It's our rugged individualism. Uh, yeah, that's what happened, but that really isn't serving us really well. And yet we really have bought into that. So much of our culture is about me. In fact, in the, 19, the decade of the 1970s, uh, that was uh, dubbed the me generation, or sorry, the me decade, and there were all kinds of self-this and self-that going on. Uh, we had the 60s where they were casting off uh, the, the restraints of institutional things and just do your own thing, and this reached full bloom here as it's like, well, there's the self-this, self-that, this, self you just really got to love yourself, and that's the kind of country that we've grown up in. I mean, our, our country really does look, you really do look out for one another. I was at an event, and it was actually a, a kind of a tough time because we had a, a prayer event at the church uh, for this gal who had cancer, and so we spent some time praying and laying hands on for her. But when we were done, some of the guys started talking, and there's some World War II buffs there. And so one guy said, oh, yeah, I really read this book, and it was really, really interesting. And what it w- was talking about was how the U.S. prisoners of war were treated by the Japanese. And the, the extra looking down upon the prisoners of war of the United States that the Japanese had. And the point of the book was he was making was that th- their treatment of the U.S. people was low because they looked at these soldiers who surrendered the japanese view is you fight for your country you die for your country you don't quit you crash your plane into things you do whatever it is that you can and they looked down on that and it's like oh interesting because there are cultures that are very much set on honor honor is the big thing now honor can get carried away as can self-centered get carried away. But it's interesting that there is more of a sense of what's in it for me kind of attitude as opposed to I'm fighting to the very death. Interesting. So our culture is, first of all, fighting against this sense of we. We are in this together. Also, I think that something that makes it rather challenging is that we have so many Bibles and devotionals and other religious books that are available to us. For the majority of Christian history, you needed to go to church in order to find it out because you didn't have a Bible. They weren't available. And lots of people didn't even have the ability to read. And so you counted on, you had to get together with other people to get into the Word. Now, we all have our own Bibles, so we can take our own Bibles, go into our own corner, and do our own thing by ourselves, and we don't have to have to be with another group of people. In fact, we even had kind of an attitude, you know, sometimes uh, people will come to say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. And we go, oh, I read this really good book. You should read it. Not a bad thing, but our first response is not necessarily, let's get together and talk about this let's get together and pray about it nope just take your book go in your corner and you can figure this out just fine so that fights against we time another thing that fights against we time is that our lives are full any amens there we're so busy we're doing so much you know when you think about me time versus we time which one takes more time you know me time i can Take my Bible or whatever, go to a corner, read, spend some time in prayer, boom, I'm done. But we time takes more time. I mean, think about them. Okay, if you're going to have we time with somebody, you need to get ready to go. There's your commute time there. There's your chatting before the event. There's the event. And then there's the meeting after the meeting, because nobody just says, amen, and boom, immediately walks out the door. And then you got to drive home. How much time has that taken? Huge. Hour and a half, two hours. You had a really good group. The group itself lasted two hours, but you've got at least 15 minutes of commute on you. That two and a half, that's a lot of time. And that fights against us being together, saying, okay, we're doing this, we're traveling this road together. It also doesn't help that we have an enemy, the devil who wants to keep, uh, kill, steal, and destroy. That's fighting against us. And if we can, he can keep us apart, he's succeeded. We really need each other, and if we can keep, each other, keep us apart, he wins in that. And then there's the ever-present problem of our own sinful nature. It is so selfish and so me-focused. We often ask, you know, what's in it for me? And if there's enough, not enough in it for me, I'm not doing it. So this morning i like to turn that question around and ask it in the opposite way. What's in it for we? Is there enough we value in this that I'll take time to do it? So let's take a look first of all at cave time. As we think about you know what do I need as I do my we time? I can look at cave time and say, you know, I need to get away from the things that distract, yep. I need to spend time with Jesus, just me and Jesus. I need to place myself in God's Word. I need to pray to the Lord. I need to hear from the Lord. I need to confess my sins to the Lord. I need to experience the Lord's forgiveness, and I need to experience the Lord's direction in my life. Okay, that's why do I need to be here. But now let's look at, you know, why should we have a corporate time? Well, interestingly enough, we can take pretty much all of those me things and go, wait a minute, we need that for we as well. We need to get away from things that distract. Our tribe needs to get together outside of the normal busyness and distractions of the day. We need to spend time with Jesus. It's not just me sitting at the feet of Jesus, but now it's we. We're going to come together together. We want to hear from the word of the Lord. It's a we thing as opposed to a me thing. We need to hear from the Lord together. We need to confess our sins to the Lord together. I mean, yes, there's a personal confessing that needs to take place. But there is also a corporate. There are things that we are supposed to be doing as a group, as the body of Christ, as a family of God, and we fail at times. And so, spending time confessing our failings as a group is important. It's as important as spending time together and individually saying, Okay, Lord, forgive us. We have failed in a variety of ways. We need to do this, we need to do it together. You know, if you think about it in terms of the busyness, we have individual busyness that keeps us from doing what we need to be doing. And sometimes we have corporate busyness that keeps us from doing what we need to be doing. We need to experience His forgiveness. Well, I imagine that uh, if you're like me, you're feeling a bit awkward going, seeing this corporate time, having a corporate cave time. And I'll admit that I'm right there with you. I mean, if I think about my teeter totter, me, we, which one of these is more prevalent in my life? And I have to admit that, yeah, I kind of lean towards the me time. So I'm recognizing in my own needs that, wait a minute, I think we need to have a bigger view of we, a higher value for we. How do we do that? But well, one of the things i got to thinking about was what if salem had an anthem how about that something that we said something that we did maybe every time that we got together you know it makes me think of the national anthem anybody know how long that song has been around you could say a long time because <laughs> it was like about 200 years ago that The beginning of it happened, and then about 100 years after that, it started to take form. But the first time that it made it to professional baseball was during the seventh inning stretch during World Series. Seth would be thrilled because the Cubs were in the World Series, and they were playing the Boston Red Sox, 1918, and so even Babe Ruth at the time was playing for the Red Sox and world war ii or sorry world war one is going on at that time and so somebody decided you know during the seventh inning stretch let's play the national anthem it was a hit the response of the crowd of national pride was just palpable they said we got to keep doing this and so they did and so eventually the national anthem made it to the beginning of the game not just relegated to the seventh inning stretch But then as you're also aware of, I'm sure, that uh, the national anthem is not limited to baseball anymore. It's in so many sports. That's how things get started. So like, yeah, a national anthem, something that reminds us of who we are and rally together, stick together. And especially during World War I, we have a common enemy. This rallies us together. So if we were to have an anthem, what might that be? I'll put out there, how about the Lord's Prayer? Something that brings us together. This is why we are here. So I'd like us uh, to first of all say the Lord's Prayer, and so let's do that together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's take that apart for just a minute. The first line there, our Father in heaven. First word, our. This is a we prayer. That's not me. It is we. This is our group. Also, it's got the word father there, which is a reminder that we are a family. Individually, he's our dad, so guess what? We're all family. We've all been adopted into the same family. That's a great way to start. The next part, we've got three petitions. These are things we're saying, God, may this be may this be may your name be hallowed may it be honored in every way may your kingdom come there's this kingdom spreading that needs to take place it started with the 12 and some others it's gone to thousands but it needs to keep on going your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven lord would you help us to obey you to follow you like those angels do you know, you think about the angels and God says, jump, and they say, how high? When God tells us to jump, we sometimes ask, why? May your will, Lord, be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Next we have, give us today our daily bread. We have needs. They're real. He wants to meet those needs, and so we come asking next we have and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors that's a big one that's a tough one forgive does jesus really mean forgive us just like we have forgiven others that sounds an awful lot like if we don't forgive others we don't get forgiven when Matthew's version of this prayer being taught by Jesus to his disciples, he goes on after the prayer is done, and that's exactly what he says. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. I don't think it gets any clearer than that. We'll take a quick systematic theology time out and going, no, you're still a Christian, but there is that need to forgive. And Jesus is saying, it is really important that you forgive. He even told the story about the guy who owned a huge debt, and this other guy had a little tiny one. He forgave the, this guy his huge debt, so this guy has a, goes over here to this guy who owns just a little bit, and he refuses to forgive, and The manager goes uh you should have passed on that same forgiveness your forgiveness canceled it's a big deal in fact if anything this is a powerful reminder that we need one another because forgiving others can be really really challenging amen it can be really really hard But Jesus has said it's really important. So we need to circle the wagons and encourage our brothers and sisters as they wrestle with people that, things that have happened that are just really hard. Forgive us our debts. That's a big piece of a Christian living in the world. Then it goes on to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, this reminds me of Psalm 23. King David says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. David was painfully aware of how attractive some of those other paths, not of righteousness, are to follow. But he says, the Lord's my shepherd, and he's the one that keeps pushing me back to where I really should be, even when I, that's not my first response, it's not my natural response. And so in the Lord's Prayer, we we're saying, Lord, we need your help we do not have some kind of automatic pilot that helps us pick the right thing out every single time completely obediently the last part of the prayer is for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever now if you're looking at your real bible somehow some way are those verses there no they're not not in the main text so we'll take a quick Bible translation timeout here. So, why do we say that? Well, most, if not all, of your Bibles should actually have a footnote. And down at the bottom of the page, it says, some manuscripts have, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Why did they do that? Well, there's this challenge that we have in translating the Bible. We've got all of these copies and copies of pieces of uh, different manuscripts, some which are complete, some which are not, and a huge amount of these that have been found. And so you're trying to figure out, well, what did the original one say? And so when they're sure of what it really said, then that goes in the text. If there's something that they're sure is not there, because sometimes different transcripts will have different, or manuscripts will have different pieces, should that be there or not? And sometimes they'll look at that and go, "Oh, that should, absolutely not." That is so clearly something that somebody added because you remember copying there's no photocopies, all of that is' hand done. And sometimes people would write things in the margin, and sometimes somebody copying that would say, "Oh, wait a minute, I need to copy that because that person put it there." So if they're sure that it's original, then it goes into the main text. If they're sure it's not original, it doesn't go. But there are those ones that are in the middle so in this particular case let's say um, they're looking at this and saying you know what I'm 60% sure that this should not be here and I'm 40% sure that it should be so I mean these particular manuscripts are very trusted ones but it here that the variance is interesting and so when they're really not that sure whether it should be in or out, and it's more likely out, but they're not sure, they'll put it down in a footnote. Well, obviously, um, as you've perhaps grown up you know, saying the Lord's Prayer, we keep saying that. And so, even if it's not original, it is a very good way to wrap up the prayer. For yours, God, is the kingdom and the power forever and ever. Amen. a good anthem mean, think about the Lord's Prayer and everything that's in it we have God and his glory we have our physical needs and making those known to the Lord we need to receive forgiveness as well as be granting forgiveness we need help to live in the way that honors God and keeps us from walking according to the evil one and it turns here at the end our focus to there is an eternal hope there is something that we are striving Towards. it's not just the here and now, but we also where the future is driving what we need, uh, where we are headed, and why we want to keep pressing on. There. This is a we prayer, us. This is a group. We are disciples. This is a we thing. You know, some some churches say it all the time. Some never. Some occasionally. I'll I'll put it out there. It'd be Great to have it more often because this reminds us of who we are, where we're headed, who we're depending on, and there's a glorious future that we are living for. One other possible thought would be the songs that we sing and how we sing them. And so we're going to have a closing song here shortly, but I want to look at the words for just a minute. Okay? Let's read them together. Be thou my vision. O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Is this a we song or a me song? It's definitely me. God be my vision. So what can we do to make this a wee song? Let's switch it around a little bit. Be thou our wisdom, and thou our true word. Us ever with thee, and thou with us, Lord. Thou our great father, and we we thy true son. Thou in us, and us with thee one. That kind of spins it around, doesn't it? This is what we want for us. Let's do it to the next one as well. Riches we heed not, nor vain empty praise. Thou our inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only first in our heart. High King of heaven, our treasure thou art. High King of heaven, our victory won. May we reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of our own heart, whatever befall, still be our vision, O ruler of all. We songs are are good. It brings us all together in that. Well, we're not going to change the words as we do the closing, but I would like to think about it this way even though we're going to be singing lots of me's and my's, what if we prayed that prayer for the person behind us, in front of us, on the side, on either side, and saying, God, would you be not only my vision, but his, hers, ours? I don't want this to be just about me. I want this to be about we. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that our relationship is both me and we. Lord, would you help us to more and more value both of those. Lord, we know that we have our own uh, personal needs and requirements as we desire to be your disciples. But Lord, you have put us together as a body, as one, You've gifted each one of us for the benefit of the other, not for our own benefit. Lord, would you help us to more and more reflect a group, a body that really loves you. And Lord, may it be obvious to those who encounter us that we have a great relationship with you both personally and as a church. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.